This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. For more, visit lbj.utexas.edu. Hello, and welcome to Policy on Purpose. I'm so pleased to have Mayor Rahm Emanuel from Chicago here with us today. He spent the day uh, in and out of Austin and mostly with us, and we had such an incredible session with you, Mayor Emanuel. The students came after the session and just said they wished it had gone three or four hours. <laughs> and, uh, and it was That's great. That's just because they wanted to cut class. <laughs> no, it's not true. Um, we, uh, Mayor Emanuel was so open and uh, you know so forthcoming with the students. It was just an amazing That's session. Nice so thank you say. very much. I told, so I want you to know, I've already been on uh, the phone with my kids. So I'm trying to figure out a time for a spring break. We're coming back for the library. I t- at minimum, Zach and I are going to do it. Good. No, well, the library is an amazing la- place. Yes, too. So good. Well, I'd like to see the kids at the school too, just to show them around and. Yeah, we'll, see. we'll see. I'm sure we can take a bathroom break at the school or something like that. That's not a problem. We'll see how this interview goes. This is we'll not going to go well. This podcast <laughs> we'll is going to be a free-for-all, which is just fine with me. I think yeah. this is great. Um, I have Mayor's <laughs> on the loose. Mayor's on the loose. Go get him. Go get him. Okay. Ready? I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm, I've been uh, okay, ready. Okay, I was okay. born ready, honey. Go. <laughs> this is great. Okay. Okay. You're known for your tenacity and your persistence and your drive. And what I want to know is, how did you find these, how did you use these tools in important situations when you had to bring coalitions together that really didn't like each other and that had to work together? Because, you mm. know, these, these, these traits are really important, and some people can see them as off-putting, but some— well, they, all, they can be. I mean, they don't always have to—look, I mean, you know this. Your greatest strengths are also your greatest weaknesses. So there are moments in time where— Axrod refers to me as a heat-seeking missile, that if I have a moment and I need to get to a goal, I'll try to find the open the door, I'll try to open the door, or I'll just take a sledgehammer and knock the wall down. Mm-hmm. But if I set a goal, um, that goal is to be accomplished, okay? And that if on certain things, like whether it's a full school day or President Obama's health care or President Clinton's kid care, or more importantly, like the, not more importantly, but where it was really touch and go, the assault weapon, and I'll tell you a story about that. Uh, tenacity, fierceness, uh, never willing to let go of the goal, uh, our assets. They can also be, as you well know for all of us, traits can also be liabilities at a certain point. The quality of, I'm trying to think of an anecdote of bringing people together. Um, I think I would rather than a singular moment, I try to, let me think of it as the arc of time where you don't, just get something done and move on, but keeping people consistently through. And, you know, I suppose the way to think about it is, you know, I supp- I could have stopped at full-day kindergarten for children, which I accomplished in 2012. But over the last five years, we were adding 500 kids here or whatever, and I set a personal goal of getting to universal full-day pre-K for every child. And we will get that on my last day, last year of my term. That's good. Where we'll be the second year of a four-year phase in of all that. We identified the money. We're building out the space so we can actually accomplish the goal. But that's been a six-year holding my administration that that's what we're going to get done. That if you get you have a, you find a quarter behind the couch, that quarter goes to pre-K. If you find the uh, nickel, 
uh, behind the, uh, you know, the uh, crescendo, that goes to pre-K. And making sure that while well, you have 100 priorities, and I've, one thing I found in public life, it is better to do one thing 100% than to do four things at 50% because nobody, everybody will focus on the 50 they didn't get done of any one of the four. That's right, but you had a lot going on. You think? Yeah. The other thing, I don't know, um, there was a story I was going to keep you on. The uh, assault weapon. Oh, the assault weapon ban. So we passed in 94 the crime bill, which is 100,000 community police officers. All right. Massive expansion of after school and what was then called midnight basketball, et cetera. And then separately from the crime bill, we then are set forward in March of 94 to pass the assault weapon ban. There's all in the house. And everybody thought uh, we, they would send it to Jack Brooks, Texas mm -hmm. Democrat. He would go to the judiciary and there it shall not see the light of day. And this is actually where Chuck Schumer and I became really good friends. I was a point person in the White House. I did the Brady Bill in uh, the winter fall of 93. So Chuck and I started working it, and this was the first time we beat Chairman Brooks in his own committee, which if you know, obviously, legislative areas, you don't beat Chairman Brooks. You don't beat any chairman if they're a good chairman. Mm -hmm. If they deserve the title chairman, you don't beat them in their own committee. Right. In long term. Uh, so we get it to the floor. Anyway, fast forward, we uh, cobbled together. We had designed out of the White House the first time actually a White House war room. People all talk about it, the healthcare. It actually started on the assault weapon ban. Mm -hmm. And we worked local press, not national press, on the assault weapon ban. You know, if you saw Chuck Schumer shooting an Uzi at a gun site, that would give you a reason to ban him or ban <laughs> Chuck Schumer. Either ban the assault <laughs> weapon ban or Chuck but never put the two together. But anyway, we did a lot of different things, local media, et cetera, and feed in. And we'd have to use the president doing radio interviews in members' districts. We passed it by one vote. And I won't tell you. Well, it is all you need. Leader Whip Bonnier, Majority Leader Gephardt, and Speaker Foley come up to see the president. We're upstairs on the second floor of the East Wing, the green room up. Major oil paintings up on the wall. And they asked him to separate the assault weapon ban from the crime bill. They would pass the crime bill. He would get his 100000 which was his main goal in the campaign. But we knew then that if he took the assault weapon ban out, you were basically delegate, relegating it to being dead. Right. And Clinton tells Foley, Gephardt, and Bonnier, I won't take it out. You guys then don't take up the crime bill. But I'm not taking that out. And it was a moment of immense courage. The thing would have been – and if you listen to leadership, comedy, right. 94, yeah. they were, were not out of the recession from a feeling why – you know. And Clinton – to his credit, steered the leadership down. Said, then don't do a crime bill. Just do health care. I'm not taking it out. Mm -hmm. And Gephardt, Foley, and Bonnier not wrongfully blamed me. I was the one for, if you took it out, you'd get destroyed, Mr. President of the Press. You'd be the weak person. And you'd be uh, basically a tool of Congress rather than the leader that you are. Not incorrect of the advice I gave. I forgot where it was in the Senate. Anyway, if goes down, the crime bill goes down because of the assault weapon ban. And we also have in there, I forgot this, so 100,000 community police officers, 
all the after-school programs, the assault weapon ban, and the first ever Violence Against Women Act that Joe Biden, the senator, had sponsored. And John Kasich, when it goes down, we have two weeks to rally everybody's vote. John Kasich agrees to bring 14 Republicans to support the assault weapon ban in a crime bill. And it was the first time that we broke from a unified Democratic mm -hmm. Congress to work in a bipartisan fashion with Republicans because the Republicans were the only ones that would stand by the assault weapon ban. Not an accident that there start to be, you know, John, um, forgot the woman's name that was a congresswoman also. She was, they were both suburban Columbus, Ohio, suburban. Yeah. And the assault weapon starting to carry currency in suburban districts. And things got added on penalties that as a lot of people today say in retrospect, oh, that was horrible, but you would have lost the assault weapon ban because if you didn't have those 14 Republicans, the Democrats were going to force the president to abandon the assault weapon ban. That was the trade-off of real politique. Mm -hmm. And people don't like to remember the crassness of doing deals, mm -hmm. but that was the deal. We ended up carrying forward and then passed in the Senate, and people forget, eight Republicans voted against cloture, but then they voted for... Senator Cohn, who became Secretary of State, yeah. voted against the crime bill, but then voted for it. John Danforth, Mr. Moral Principles, not that he doesn't have them, voted against cloture, then voted for the crime bill with his assault weapon. So that's, you know, talk about a laser focus. And I have a great pictures. I don't think anybody ever gave a president a bear hug with his feet off the ground, which is I have in the <laughs> library of the president when I, we passed the assault weapon ban. Because I basically took his, he listened to me, and I had willingly gambled and he gave me the account to gamble political capital mm -hmm. to steer the House leadership down, pass a bill, get it done, and set in motion a series of things. And so that goes to Clinton's credit, man. Well, it goes to your credit. One of the things we've been trying to talk about here at school uh -huh. is a lot of you learn through stories. You know, people tell you a story, <laughs> right? A narrative. How about like 5,000 years of Jewish history, man? What, what is this? Exactly. You guys learn from stories? Yes. Breaking news. That's what the Old Testament is, okay? Yeah. So we're going back. I'm back. How much time have we got for 5,000 years to summarize it all? <laughs> but I wanted to, you know, one of the things that in terms of the students and what you just said, mm -hmm. we're trying to teach them things or have them exposed to what we were talking about earlier, frames, you know, think yes. about strategies. So one thing is, how do you create, and you just answered some of it, giving stories of how you create coalitions among folks who really don't want to play, and they play at that particular, uh, you know, I'm, I've got more to go. You know, Henry, Kiss Henry Kissinger had a great quote. You want it? I don't know if it's going to hurt my uh, reputation. No, no, I don't no. want it. <laughs> Does anybody have any questions for my answers? <laughs> answers. Okay. You have answers. But this is, it's, it's a bunch of things. It's how do you form coalitions of people who really don't want to work together and how you hold those coalitions in a different issue. That's one. And you, you're talking about that. Yeah. The other one is how, how do you decide as a leader to say, okay, I'm, this is it. I'm delegating my trust to you and you're going to oh. do it. And, you know, how do you win that? So we talked to the students. They have to be thinking about, you know how you were talking about, think about your north and think about what you really want to accomplish? Your north stars. Right. So the tools I'm thinking about that they need are those kinds of tools. I'm not sure you, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure between education and experience that experience doesn't beat out than that. And I'm, uh, I don't know if you can, you can tell stories, but I think actually experience is the only way you're going to learn and failing at doing it. Uh, maybe so you can 
do case studies, study former case studies, but unless you are there, tenant, you know, there was a that juncture. I was in George. We were in George's office when the crime bill went down, and we all knew that if the crime bill went down and stayed down, healthcare was definitely dead. But if you passed the crime bill, healthcare had a shot, not a guarantee. So this was more than just the crime bill going down. If you kind of give the moment, and when it went down. Well, we then kid the, called the kids, George, Bruce, George Stephanopoulos, Bruce Reed, myself, Michael Waldman, Dee Dee Myers. Um, we all gathered in George, and we gave the president our collective political advice, which was to go forward. And we didn't know what we meant by go forward. The one thing that was key, and I can't believe I'm going to say this, so please edit this out, whatever you do. Uh, Mayor Giuliani said he would stand by the crime bill. We had a Republican mayor, and it made a difference in the phone call that if you're trying to do this all up, and remember, this is the other thing, Gingrich is determined to shove it to Clinton because he sees 94, thinks they got a shot at taking over, this would be history, and he says, in fact, tells Kasich, you can't go up unless I'm in the room. Kasich says, well, you can come to the room, but I'm leading the 14. And Gingrich does everything, he had very ugly things, he said, the Schumer Metzenbaum, I wonder why he picked those two names. Uh, did very ugly things. Uh, and talk, and yeah, totally. And uh, now to Foley's credit, he comes from Western Washington. Foley, Speaker Foley tells the president that if you need one vote, I'll vote for it. Now, in Western Ohio, if you know anything, uh, Western uh, Washington State, if you know anything, voting for the assault weapon ban, you might as well sign your death warrant and death sentence. Just, I want 12 floggings, no food, and then just shoot me. Okay? I mean, that is like a really, to, but to his credit, you're the president of the United States. Those are the days. I'm the speaker of the house. You're my president. You put your capital on the line. This is your presidency. I will not let you fail. That was how Speaker Foley did it. And he put himself at great risk. And he would not let the bill go down. Um, and so those in Clinton, if you go to his politics at this moment, if he backs off the assault weapon, he looks weak. Nothing worse for a president of the United States than to look weak. If he puts it in... He has to jettison X amount of Democrats mm -hmm. and willingly accept. Now, Jason, John Kasich is so I can fit this all over. Just put it in. I'm, I'm okay. Here's my 14. They wanted certain things in it. And you have to be willing. What is your price? Right. Your price is I made a pledge. People see crime going up. They need an answer. And here's other politics, a whole different. That's the politics of the Hill. We come out of 1960s as the anti-police party. Bill Clinton wants to take crime as an issue that's been used since Richard Nixon against Democrats off the table and identify the Democrats with 100,000 community police officers, midnight basketball, gun control with the assault weapon ban, and the first ever Violence Against Women Act. And we would have a different posture as a party as it relates to public safety. John Kasich, 14 Republicans. We didn't get 14 Democrats. He says, here's the price I have to pay to be part of your party. Yeah. And his price was stiffer sentences, et cetera. And Clinton either abandoned the assault weapon ban, pass it, but be look weak. Hold your principle, hold your ground, create a bipartisan bill, and uh, pass the assault weapon ban and 100,000 competing police officers mainly going to big cities in America. Mm -hmm. And then you got to go, okay, since it's not 100% over here yeah. and not zero over there, 
Here we go. What's the calculation? What's the win? What's the loss? And, is, and as I always say, and I always say this as mayor when we were going through budgets or anything, what is the pain versus what is the pleasure? And if I'm willing to pay this pain, will it get me that much pleasure? And you had and. Yeah, I That's thought, judgment. I thought I, I was listening to you. Where did you? I was listening to you. Um, you know, to do this, I had to do homework. I mean, I knew you when I was on the Hill from a Hill perspective, but I was I was really doing a lot of homework. So homework. I was watching, yes, I was looking at YouTube, and I was listening to what you had to say. And you said that you said that a couple times. Pain to pleasure. Yeah, and the reason why it stuck to me because it's absolutely true. It's very simple, you but it's absolutely you got to calculate. It I, has to be on your calculus. And we're here at Lyndon Baines Johnson School, in the shadows of the library. I know the two presidents I, w- I work for. Um, take, I mean, I, I don't know, I do admire, you know, President Bush, 43. 80s in 08, 06, we take over the House and Senate. And he decides, and we run on a number of issues of which one is Iraq. And what's the answer? I'm going to have a surge. We just won the House and Senate. Did you not listen to the voters? And he decides to double down. And he knows if I don't get Iraq in shape before I leave... I'm going to be, let alone that Iraq will. He makes a calculation. Yes, all the policy reasons. Put that aside, though. Calculation out politics, not in a bad way. And he, that's incredible pain to some level of pleasure. Yeah. When the pleasure was, it's not what it was when I, in the middle of the war, it's in a different place, yes. past the surge with Petraeus. And when you go, so my calculation about, you know, in politics, you can't swing at every ball. So you have to decide. In life as well, right? Are we doing? Are we doing that again? Well, are we doing that again? I won't get the couch okay. out again. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm this sorry. is not covered well, in blue cross. Well, it's very hard right? not to get into that with no, you but, because uh, you're so <laughs> easy to talk to. It's like, okay, forget it. It's really? off limits. I, I, t- you wait, are. Wait, wait you, good. I'm going to have you call my wife. She doesn't think I talk <laughs> enough about things. My feelings. Okay. So, but my point is, you have to evaluate. And I mean, one of the things I love listening to Johnson's voice on the phone. You have that calculation. Like, it's like Watson at IBM has nothing on Lyndon Johnson. You can just hear, or I'm, I think I'm listening to, and the things move, and there it is. Yes. And this guy's calculated not only this pain to that pleasure, what does he want, what do I want, what does it mean outside, what does it do for And he's got literally almost 2 billion calculations going on. And within a call, and he's got it. And that, to me, is, you know, wielding power to exert influence to change the course of policy. That is what government's about. And if you don't understand power, you don't understand policy and government. I know we, 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 you know, there's only two of us at the table. So, of course, we agree. We're both here in that sense. But one of the things that, you know, when everybody goes, oh, I wish politics wasn't involved. Really? Really, in government, you wish there wasn't politics involved. I don't know if you know this. I wish profit wasn't involved in capitalism. <laughs> How's that going? Okay? It's like the dumbest thing I ever heard. Of course there's politics. Yes. Yeah. I don't know if you know this. It's They're in politics. You can't take politics out of politics any more than you can take profit out of the private sector. Yes. And so this is like a dumb idea. But the question is, do you have leaders that sometimes calculate that the pain Mm-hmm. that nobody else can see is worth the pleasure. And when you look at Johnson's domestic schedule, and I, there are things, and I, I said to you earlier about like Head Start, that this week the report comes out. I'm not sure how much pressure he put into it. But, you know, if he did Head Start, 
my guess is there's three things that didn't get done because he said, that's what I want. Because you can't do all four of them. Mm-hmm. And so he was willing to exert, and there's members that want this done, there's members that want that, and this powerful chairman wants this done in front of that done. There's all these other things going on. And he says, no, Head Start gets in front of the queue. Yeah. And now, 50 years later, we find out, lo and behold, guess what? Early childhood works. <laughs> I would like to send the report out to the Heritage Foundation. They can do a study of it. I mean, that's, in bet, he used power yeah. to exert influence to change policy. And he had the, like, some things that you were talking about when, uh, some things you had to give up, at, you know, in terms of mayor. I and mean, when you have the long view, when you have the long view, it's not for immediate satisfaction, immediate gratification, <laughs> everybody ranting and raving, it's not it wonderful. It's like you in your head are confident you have a good chance of having the long view, well, and you it, have to act on that. And I think that's what Johnson did, too. mayors, governors, the crown's heavy. Yeah. It weighs heavy on the head. Now... Johnson famously said, if I think I'm having a bad day, I thank God that I'm not a mayor. You can't say that today. Fifty years ago, mayors, you would show up at the Oval Office and say, save us, our cities are burning. Today, we come to Washington and say, we're going to save you because you're burning. Mm -hmm. Very big difference that's changed in 50 years, which is why I think, you know, last night you and I were talking about this, leaving President Obama's side as chief of staff, coming to be mayor of the city of Chicago, wasn't a step down. Now, it lo- does not insult to the chief of staff job or an insult to the mayor of a great city with the capacity of that city. Not a step down in the way that Johnson referred to it. And he, I think he would be surprised today where the calculus and center of gravity of power. Creativity. Info- yeah. Is. Innovation. Yeah. You know, we're seeing that, too. And we're seeing our students move more and more toward well, I was that. Because, upstairs about that. Yeah. How many of them said, I'm working for this state rep, this city council person? Versus um, I'm on the congressional staff of X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, some do that as well. Well, know, let's not go overboard. Okay. <laughs> I was trying to make a point. Did you have to say that? It was uh, nobody else knew. What did you ruin the parade? I did. Okay. I just ruined it on this podcast okay. on purpose. Okay. <laughs> so policy on purpose. Uh, I do have a, a, a question, though. And one What's is that? that how do we take the knowledge that you have and, know, and when you're telling us these stories and other people have and bring it to the common people? Because we, we had the benefit of hearing you today and how you were putting stories the stories together that you did. And the That's Miss Social Media over here. That's her job. <laughs> But you're interviewing the wrong person. That's her job to figure out how to get the people. Okay, are you are just are you just trying to delay so that you can think about a really good uh, answer to this? No, I <laughs> don't. No, I'm thinking how do we because people don't see this. You know, I, I keep saying I, people sure don't people, see Washington. They don't understand well, policy. They don't understand Dean, city. They Dean, don't. Madam Dean. Yes, yes, Ma- sir. Ma- yes, Madam Dean. Mr. Mayor. Yes. Washington's become Disneyland on the Potomac, and they're not. And why? Well, that's a, that's a, let me answer your first question before I answer your second question. One of the things that's also important about cities today, especially in a time of fractured politics, is it's the most immediate and intimate form of government that people think of impact their lives that they can impact. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're not seeing the instability locally that you're seeing the instability nationally, which is distant, far away, and becoming more and more entertainment and less and less. So do you feel when you talk to the people of Chicago that they have an open mind to hear what you have to say and understand the consequences? I mean, Well, maybe more so you're saying than at the national level. No, I think that open mind, I think they care more, they're more involved. Uh And if you want citizenry, you want involvement. Yeah. Okay, so that's one. Um, 
you know, I really do think we're going to look back, and I don't think I'm being, nobody would look at, you know, Rahm Emanuel's wild eye optimist. I think I'm a pretty practical, pragmatic person. Mm -hmm. I think Donald Trump's greatest contribution is going to be he's, re, re, he's created a lit the fuse of a renaissance in citizenship because we never want to do this again. Mm -hmm. And I really think there will be a counter reaction to him. We're seeing We're, it already. Yeah. I think, you know, I'm seeing it in the generation of uh, not just your kids here, but an awareness and a, an involvement. There's some level of idealism to the point that they don't impracticality because they don't want to be pragmatic. That's that's a not a high class problem, but that's a problem. Mm -hmm. That said, um, and I actually think I've talked to uh, people running for president. I'm a big believer that the most important thing we can do as a country is restore national uh, national service. That when you graduate high school, everybody has to do minimum of six months. And when I say national service, I'm not saying Marine Corps or right. Army, although I put that in there, is you must do six months. And I think the value of my children serving alongside uh, uh, a child from Texas Hill Country to uh, a child from uh, J outside Jacksonville, Florida, uh, and I say child, you know, they're 18, 19, I think we can't underestimate in a period of incredibly fractured moment reestablishing our threads of uh, unity and bondness. And then, you know, I've said to one group today I was speaking to here is, you know, they were asking about the one-third. They're so crazy. You know, maybe you should listen to them. Yes. And, I, you know, I'm not – I'm giving advice that I'm not good always 100 percent myself oh, at, no. uh, uh, but I'm a great doctor uh, in prescribing things. But I'm serious on that is we – and I really believe – and I think actually the country of all walks – knows that this is not normal mm -hmm. and we need to get our it. right and they we do. need to get the center of gravity back mm -hmm. and one of the things in policy schools of all the schools when you think about you have to encourage those kinds of discussions in the classroom and facilitate that idea that you're you have to listen yeah. and you have to understand where do you align even if it's like one percent can you start there that's the kind this is a very big change in how we teach a very big uh, a different you know, approach to public policy, public service you're, sometimes education. Sometimes places of higher education aren't that great at this. I know you can't say anything. I'm saying it for you, but that you're blinking like the soldier and the captive in North Vietnam's army. You know, it's, we all have good days and bad days on it, but the tolerance level, you can disagree, but um, I'm not sure people hear each other anymore, and that's a problem. That's a big problem. Yes, anyway. I agree. So I have one more question before we go. Yeah. Most people, when they leave public office, you know, <laughs> take a breath, whatever, write a book. You're going to take a bike ride. Yeah. So How do you know that's not a lot of breaths? Oh, it's a lot of breaths. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. going to be a lot of breaths. But I'm just thinking most people think about, okay, now I'm, I'm kind of taking a respite from everything, and I'm going to write a book. I am writing a book. Oh, you're doing – well, I should have known that you're going to do both. No, the book is about um, – one level, it's about this moment. We'll look back 10 years in the rearview mirror, the atrophying of the nation state and the emergence of the city state. Mm -hmm. And that cities and mayors today are doing things and at, being asked to do things that they didn't do before, but because there's no national partner, they have to. And that – Community groups, not-for-profits, and universities are stepping up in partnership with the public sector in a way that it, the void because of the federal government. I mean, I use this as a dramatic moment, but it's an illustration when Detroit was dealing with the pension issue. 
Ford Foundation helped them, yeah, not the federal government. Okay, so then the other thing is, if you're going to be a, a global city with institutions of higher learning, major businesses, universities, cultural institutions, the most successful cities going forward will find somewhere the best equilibrium between live, work, and play. And, you know, on the, so in Chicago, you know, on the lakefront, I've created a bi separate bike and running path. I reinvented and created a renaissance of introducing the city to the river as a recreational park. Mm -hmm. And we've done something on Riverwalk. Um, and then um, did things, uh, obviously, on corporate recruitment, et cetera. Uh, uh, and what we've done on the emergence of a tech part of our economy, let alone all the others to growth in the economy. But global cities that are attracting talent and growing will be ones that find a balance between live, work, and play, that they can do it all. Some are better at live, some are better at work, yeah. And then, most importantly, as one of your students asked, and I think I addressed, is where you create an educational structure where other people can participate who in the past used to be cut off from that bounty that a city can offer. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been you. a lot of fun. This has been great fun. Well, you fun. have a funny way of describing fun. What well, is fun? It's <laughs> no, fun I'm to joking. talk to you. I've been giving you crap, Dean, okay? <laughs> I couldn't do it when I went to Sir Lawrence. I'm just giving it to you, okay? <laughs> thank you so much, right, Mayor. Thank, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. This is Policy on Purpose, a podcast produced by the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas at Austin. We take you behind the scenes of policy with the people who help shape it. To learn more, visit lbj.utexas.edu and follow us on Twitter or Facebook at the LBJ School. Thank you for listening.